Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. With your Bibles turned to Psalm 83, I'm going to remind you once again, why was the Bible written? What's it about? What do we got going with this, with this thing called the Bible? The first 11 chapters of the Bible are about all the nations, about the entire whole world. But when you get to chapter 12, God has selected an individual, Abraham. And from that point on, the rest of the Bible is going to be about Abraham and his descendants, all his family members, the family members that God had determined to give to him. The other nations that it speaks of are going to be speaking of the nations as they interacted with Israel. Everybody with me? It's as they interacted with Israel. But all the way back here in those first, 12, or first 11 chapters, God had promised a Messiah, someone who would come to restore things in their right rightful order. That had been looked forward to. Matter of fact, all the people from here looked forward to it. By the time of Abraham, God has determined that through Abraham's family, one, he's going to bring that Messiah. So that Messiah is going to be from the family of Abraham. Number two, he's going to use the family of Abraham to tell the story of how Messiah is going to come. He's going to tell us all about when Messiah is going to come. He's going to tell us what's going to happen when Messiah comes. He's going to tell us about the restoration. All of that's going to be in the Bible. Some of it's going to be in this section of history right here. This is a section known as the prophets. And the prophets are going to be talking about things of, that are going to be coming in the, in the future. This is about 27, 30% of the whole Bible is based on these prophecies. Now, of those prophecies, a whole big bunch of them were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've, we've counted the platform here in the center. This is about the time of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's fulfilling the prophecies, some of them very specific, very detailed prophecies, that the chances of them being fulfilled were pretty slim, okay? Those, those prophecies given here, Jesus is fulfilling them here. Then there are still some prophecies given there and some prophecies that were given about the time of Jesus that still had to be finished out here. Now, where are we on this timeline? Well, we are sometime right about in here. You say, well, how could you possibly know that? Because of what these guys said back here. About 2,600 years ago, there was a guy named Ezekiel who was going to tell us what's going to take place sometime in the future. And though he's not going to say, look at your watches, it's going to be at such and such time, he does tell us it's going to be at the latter years, this is going to be taking place, these, th these things will be in place at that time. That's 2,600 years ago. And now when we come out here, we're finding some of those things he said were going to take place are in place. And they hadn't been in place since the days of Jesus. They are now in place. That puts us back on a very wonderful prophetic clock so that we can have the rest of those scriptures that Jesus was supposed to fulfill, fulfilled. All right? The first thing I'm going to do, though, is talk at Psalm 83 because uh, Israel is the focus of all prophecy, okay? Every, everything that God's going to do is working through Israel. He's used Israel as his standard. Whatever you see I'm doing with Israel, that's when you know to get your eyes open. Look and look at what's happening around you because when you see me doing these things to Israel, that's going to be the key. Well, what we're doing is trying to show you those things are happening to Israel. They're happening right now. Uh, matter of fact, I've got some things to talk to you about that happened over, overnight that are even more exciting about what's going on. Well, well, we'll get to that in a minute. I've looked at Psalm 83, and Psalm 83 is a great psalm. But like all the psalms, it's a song and a prayer, okay? It's not a prophecy. It's a song and it's a prayer. Now, the uh, reason I'm saying it's not a prophecy because there's nothing that has to be fulfilled in it as a prophecy. It is a prayer that can be offered up by Israel a number of times. 
So let's just look at this prayer just for a moment. Here's what this prayer says. Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. And do not be still, O God. Now, stop just for a moment. At 136 A.D., the Roman Empire was so tired of fighting against Israel, they decided, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take all you Israelis and we're moving you all around the world. You have lost this land. We're done with you. So they moved them every place around the world. They moved all kinds of locations. And then they went back and tore all the synagogues down, tore all the temple, everything down so that there'd be nothing you'd want back again. Then just in case somebody might get the the crazy idea, you could come back and start farming again. They went ahead and salted a bunch of place, burned down the cities. They want to make sure nobody ever lives there again. Well, as the best laid plans of men and mice and all that, people did come back to live there. Now, it wasn't a great place. It was kind of devastated. But there were people that still lived there. But the Israelis themselves didn't live there. That clock zips all the way up to 1948. And in 1948, Israel came back to that land. Now, kids, here's the deal. That's Ezekiel back here 2,600 years ago saying, I will bring you back to this land from the nations. Now look, when Ezekiel's writing it, they are not in the nations. So he's telling us that someplace you're going to be scattered among the nations. So he's already telling us there's some kind of prophecy out here. Now, they were in the nations for this whole period Then in 1948, they're back again in answer to Ezekiel 36 and 37. Now, I'm just going to say this. Maybe it's better to say Ezekiel 26 rather than 36 and 37. Why? Because when he brought them back this time, he said, I'm going to put you under the rod. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to bring you back to your land, but I'm planning to discipline you there. And as I discipline you there, you're going to learn to listen to me. I'm going to bring you back to faith in me. They have completely lost faith in him. They they said there can't be a God or we wouldn't have suffered all the things we've suffered all this time. Yet he'd already told them back with those prophets, if you keep doing this stuff, you are going to be in the nations and you will be ridiculed in those nations. You're going to be persecuted in those nations. They're not going to like you in those nations. Then 1948 came. And they got to be back in the land. Now, having said this, everybody was thrilled. You know, they looked and said, that's an answer to prayer. Look, Israel's got its land back again. That is so wonderful. Now things can be really great in the world. I wish that's what happened. But that's not what happened. The whole world was mad about that. Now, the United Nations made some all kinds of little plans and ditties and protections for them and things like that. But ever since then, kids, all they've been doing, Israel is the major country that they make resolutions against all the time. They always got something to say about about, um, Israel. They had enemies all around them. Now, having said that, they could look back and say, you have been quiet for a long time. And he has. For about 2,000 years, he wasn't talking to them anymore. And they've lived away from him for 2,000 years. But when that 1948 started, when it came back to there again, listen to what happened. It says, now, do not keep silent, O God. Do not, do not hold your peace and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult. They're getting all excited. They're getting loud and noisy. And those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation. Wait a minute. If they couldn't cut them off from being a nation, they weren't a nation, right? If that was back here in this time, there's nothing to cut off. It could only take place when they're back in the land again. So this was a prayer about what to do when they're in the land. Verse 4 again, they have said, come let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. 
For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. Who is it? It's the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gibal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, with the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria, who has joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot. Wow, that's a lot of folk. Let me just say, that forms the first concentric ring about Israel. So here's Israel. Let me make this, this, my whole elbow right here is, is all of Israel. Down here is Lot. Then surrounding all this is where Ammon, what's, what's uh, is this Jordan, I think it is, and stuff. This is where Ammon and Moab lived. You're going up above that, that's Syria and all that. So th- the nations they're talking about here form this first concentric ring around them. And they hated them. They hated them in 1948. They hated them in 1967. They hated them again in 1983. They've been hating them and trying to get them out of there all along. So here is the psalmist having a prayer. If you don't help us, we're surrounded. They've got all kinds of people, and they want to cut us off completely. They hate you. And because they hate you, they want to cut us off, okay? Let's go on further. It says this, deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin at the brook of Kishon, who perished at Endor, who became his refuge on the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb and all their princes like Zeba and Zalmana, who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. Oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind, as the fire burns the woods and the flame sets the mountains on fire. So pursue them with your tempest, frighten them with your storm, fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded. I want you to notice, why does he want to fill their faces with shame? Look what it says in verse 16, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Look, the psalmist is not saying, kill everybody and wipe them out. Let's do some genocide here. He said, no, just, just destroy those leaders that the rest of them can and look for your name. We want them to find you. That's what we want. If they'll find you, we know what the solution is going to be here. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Let them be put to shame and to perish, that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. So if I can say this, the psalmist's prayer is they're looking as a nation, they're looking for all those that are concentric ring around them. Now, they've had times where they're friends with the concentric ring around them. They've had times when they're not friends with the concentric ring around them. They've had times when their arch enemy over here, Mr. Iran, has been sending all kinds of things to these surrounding concentric rings. And as he's been sending things over there, Hamas and Hezbollah have been firing stuff into Israel. It appears it's coming from Syria. It appears it's coming from Lebanon. It appears it's coming from... Stop. It's not. And the Syrians and the Lebanese don't want anything to do with it. They keep saying, it's not us. It's not us. We didn't do that. So if you think it's us, stop, just stop thinking that. We're not doing it. Why? They don't want a war with Israel. Now, they don't particularly like Israel being here but they don't want to have a war with them. But Iran is building up more and more materials and supplies in that area all the time. Psalm 83 has yet to be prayed and fulfilled, but it will. Now, it's been prayed before. Psalm 83 was prayed before in 1948. They won in 1948. It was prayed in 1967. Just because it's a prayer and not a prophecy, this prayer could be played how many times? Every time you have an enemy, right? Every time that somebody is saying, we're going to surround you and wipe you out and you're not going to have anything anymore, every time that happens, you can pray that prayer. So what we're looking at, guys, is Israel is ready to pray this prayer again. And you could be seeing in just a little while some really big things taking place with uh, Israel and those nations surrounding it. As a matter of fact, it looks like if the, if the counts are right, there are about 250,000 missiles pointed at Israel right now. That's a quarter of a million. That's a lot of missiles, kids. That is a lot of missiles. Somebody's got some destruction in mind. But may I, may I say this? It's not really to their advantage to destroy the land. They want the land. 
they'd like to have that land. There's resources. There's good stuff on that land. So it's not really to their advantage to destroy the land, but it is to their advantage to destroy the people. So they would want, it's not the land that they hate, it's the people on that land that they hate. Everybody follow me? So you can do a lot of things with air power. You can destroy a lot of stuff with air power. But when it gets down to killing people, you've got to have people on the ground. So there'll have to be sometime people on the ground. Everybody with me on that? You see what I'm saying? Uh, if this sounds like war talk today, I, it's just because that's what the Scriptures are about. Okay? That's all I can, all I can say. Um, so that first concentric ring has got, has got to go. It's got to be disarmed. Let me say it that way anyway. Because notice, they're not looking for the destruction of that first, first concentric ring. They're looking for those people to turn to the Lord. Looking for those people to look for the Lord. All right. Now, having said that one, uh, why is that important for us to know? All right, now, I'm going to put us back on. This is now the tribulation time clock, okay? Here's, here's the beginning of the tribulation. Over here is seven years, so it's got seven years in here. This is about the middle of the tribulation. We're not in that tribulation yet. No, we're not there yet. We're someplace back over here. But something has to set this up. Something has to make this work. So what is that something? I believe I can show you from what the Scriptures say that something is going to be Ezekiel 38 and 39. Psalm 83, I believe, is going to be prayed and it's going to have to work, those first concentric rings, but it's going to weaken Israel a great deal. Right now, Israel is a weakened state. Weakened only because they're not so sure how much they want to use their defense forces weakened because they're not sure how much they want to waste at that given any given time. You understand what I'm saying? Because they never when it's going to be something big they really need it for. So that, that they'll be praying that, that God will intervene for them some way and take care of that first concentric ring. But it's got to be that that leads to Ezekiel 38. So let's turn our Bibles to Ezekiel 38. Let's start with it. And I believe, based on what I can see in the Word of God, that this is the event that will bring, back, will bring Israel back to faith in God. Uh, let me, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, on the back side, on, the, on, on page number two, right down the bottom, letter G, I, I want to do that point to make sure that I get that point today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, I don't, that I don't waste my time and give you the, the, all the good stuff there. So Ezekiel uh, 30, 39, so if you turn to Ezekiel 39, verses 21 to 29, okay? 39, 21 to 29. Listen to what he says. After this event that we hope to study between this week and next week, after this event, here's what he says. I will set my glory among the nations. All the nations shall see my judgment which I have executed and my hand which I have laid on them. What will the nation see? Are you seeing they're going to see the judgment of God? And notice he says all the nations are going to see it. So the title of this whole series has been, and this is the sixth part in it, that you will know that I am the Lord. This is what God's been doing, according to Ezekiel, and I think he does it, what, to 63 times, something like that, 68 times, something like that. He says this, that they shall know that I am the Lord. There's a problem. People don't know that God is the Lord. So he's going to do things that's, that's so phenomenal, only he could have done it. So that everybody will say, that must be the Lord. That has to be the Lord. So watch what he says. He said, I have uh, I've set my glory among the nations, and so the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God. By the way, we're, we're right now reading our responsive reading, all right? So you can just read verse 22. So the, um, you can listen as I read. It's about a better, better way to say it. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. Stop. What? The nations are going to know something, but who's the biggie that's going to know something? It's Israel. What do we know about Israel now? They don't know him now. They're largely atheists right now. But they're going to see something that's so big, it's going to make them know that he is the Lord. 
It's going to bring them back to faith that's in the Lord. Listen to how he goes on to say it. So the house of Israel, verse 22 says, shall know that I am the Lord their God from that day forward. The Gentiles shall know that the house of Israel went into captivity for their iniquity because they were unfaithful to me. Therefore, I hid my face from them. Remember our psalm back here again? Do not hide your face from us. Do not be silent. Rise up and speak. If I gave them into the hand of their enemies and they all fell by the sword, according to their uncleanness, according to their transgressions, I have dealt with them and hidden my face from them. Therefore, says the Lord God, now I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. I'll be jealous for my holy name after they have borne their shame and all their unfaithfulness, of which they were unfaithful to me when they dwelt safely in their land, and no one made them afraid. When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and I am hallowed in, their, in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back into their land and left none of them captive any longer. And I will not hide my face from them any more, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, says the Lord God. So whatever this event is going to be, it's going to have the effect of bringing Israel back to faith in God. It's going to be effective in bringing the captives back to that land again. It's going to be effective in the nations knowing that he is God and the Gentiles knowing he is God. All of that's going to take place from that one event. Kids, that's the event that leads to the tribulation. This is the big event that's going to make the whole world know there is the Lord God. And God is the Lord when they see this major event that's going to take place. Well, let's go back because there's more I want you to see about this. There is a second consecutive ring. So for this, let's turn to Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38, we could do it again in, in 39 too, but 38. Ezekiel 38 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, the prophets, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed in a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Do you get the idea this is an army? If you're getting that idea, you're right on. This is an army, fully armed, all right? Uh, coming with them, verse 5, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togarma from the far north and all its troops. Many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are, that, that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, you will come to the land whose, who those brought back from the sword and gathered from the people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations. Now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land with a, like a cloud, you and all your troops with you. So if you would, who's coming? Well, it's going to be, as he's saying here, Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. Some of yours may not say Prince of Rosh. You may say, I don't even see where you're getting that word Rosh. It's not in ours. Well, it's the, the Hebrew word Rosh. And that Hebrew word Rosh means head. You hear it in the word Rosh Hashanah. Remember when they talk about the, the, the new year, the new year celebration is called Rosh Hashanah because Rosh means the head. It's the chief. It's the, it's the start of something, Okay. That that's the usual meaning of Rosh. So uh, primarily, that word means chief prince. So some of yours may not say Rosh at all. It may say the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Anybody have that in your Bibles? It says the chief prince of Meshach. There you go. That's because the word Rosh was a name for a people 
but it was also the name for the chief of something. Most often it's used as the chief of something, so the head of something, the beginning of something. It might be the, the rosh of the river. It might be the beginning of the river. It could be a, a lot of those things. But there was also a people called rosh. Um, most people believe those are the Scythians, very barbaric group of people that conquered a lot of things and left a lot of devastation in their sight. All of them lived north of Israel. All of them lived north of Turkey. So when, you, when you're looking at Turkey on this invisible map that you have before you right here, over here is going to be Greece. I, this is from my, my perspective, okay? So we're looking at this weird, uh, I'm, I'm in a glass behind here looking at the map, so you're having to look at it reversed. So just think dyslexic, all right? So what we got here is Greece, Turkey, then you move on around here, and somewhere up here is a place called Ukraine. That's probably news to, new to most of you right here, but Ukraine. And then there is a, a land that's a little north of there. There's lands that are over this way. All of these lands here are the ones being talked about. That's the lands being talked about. Meshach and Tubal are the old names for Moscow and Tubalsk. So those are the two names there that you would see most prominently. Some are saying Rosh then stands for the Roshans. I, I don't know that I can demonstrate that one perfectly, so I'm not going to get all excited about that one because it, it, it's most often used to describe the head priest or the head governor or the head of something else. But that doesn't mean that that eliminates Russians. It doesn't because there's still people to the north. Everybody follow where I'm at? Still people to the north. But what he's talking to is Gog, and he calls him the chief prince. What does that mean? If you remember, all the way back when we were talking about the divisions that God gave of the nations at Tower of Babel, he gave to each one of those nations as they went one of the sons of God to be the leader over that group. Gog is one of the names of one of those leaders. Okay? And he's been leading in a northern group of people for all this time. Now, I got all excited about this north thing, uh, and here's why. Because Satan set himself up. He said he wants to build his kingdom on the sides of the north. Then I got less excited because that's where Zion sits. So uh, is Mount Zion the sides of the north? I said, okay, well, maybe I don't want to have Zion to be the same place that Satan built his home. But I can see why Satan would want to take Zion. You follow what I'm coming? The north... They're all those people that oppose people. And that's been a fighting group of people for centuries, for millennia. They have fought with all kinds of people all in through there. Gomer, Tagarma, that's all over there on the, the left side. <laughs> that would be a crazy thing to see. Uh, they, they are on the other end of the uh, Black Sea there where Ukraine is. That's all of those, that Lithuania, uh, Finland, all that, all that group, the Poland and all that group there. Right? That's all that group. So Gomer and Togarma are that group. So if you're beginning to, get, beginning to get the picture here, all the action that's happening in that part of the world right now is a prophetic thing happening. That is Ezekiel 38. Everybody see where I'm coming from? It gets compounded even more when you see that these European groups are con and, and Asian groups are connected with Persia. Persia is the old name for Iran. Iran is a hot customer in that area. Iran is providing all kinds of drones, suicide drones, all kinds of mechanical equipment for an ongoing war in that whole area. And Iran is in a relationship with the Russians, with Meshach and Tubal. Everybody follow him? He's in some sort of relationship with this prince named Gog. And Gog's been running wild for a long time. When God wanted to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt, he didn't go just down and talk to a pharaoh. He went down and fought the gods of Egypt. It was to defeat the gods of Egypt. So God is in a spiritual battle with the gods of the countries that are opposing him. So what I'd like to do is just talk to you for a few moments. Uh, let, me, let me go ahead and finish this. All right. Uh, Persia is Iran. 
Ethiopia is not necessarily the nation we know of as Ethiopia. That was the word that's used for everything that's south of Mitzrayim, south of Egypt. So everything south of Egypt belongs to this thing called Ethiopia. This morning, uh, I was excited that I read a report that yesterday there had been a rebellion from the Iran-backed um, rebels in Sudan to push out the Israeli-favoring army and put in place its Iran-backed Israel-hating army. Now, why is that important? Because Iran and Russia are connected now to Sudan, and that's Ethiopia. So if you follow where I'm coming from, the alliance that this is going to be in these last days, that second concentric ring, so I can start, here is Meshach to Baal, and it works its way all the way around through all those nations that it's calling, and it's working through Gomer, Togarma, it's working through all those nations, it's all the way down into Turkey. So all of those nations are combined looking south to Israel, and they have connected themselves up with Iran and Sudan, and soon Libya will be in that. And then Libya is just anything west of Egypt on the North African. So you've got a huge alliance. So if you look, that's the second concentric ring. You follow me? So you had all of this big ring that was right around Israel here, and now the second concentric ring is looking to what's going on with this one, and they're moving to make a big move. This is what's called God putting hooks in the jaws. So let's take a look just for a moment at how God deals with nations. We'll be looking here from Genesis 11, Deuteronomy 32, Isaiah 40, 15 to 17, and Acts 17, 26 to 27. First of all, and Romans 1, I should say too. First of all, when God deals with nations, he holds them responsible and accountable to him, but they're given much freedom of self-determination. When you look at Romans chapter 1, you do not see God intervening and stopping people when they head the wrong direction. What you see instead is God letting people do what they want to do. He's stepping back. He's giving people over. That's the way he deals with nations. That's the way he's dealing with the United States. As long as the United States is willing to seek the Lord, as long as the United States is willing to follow the Lord, then he'll let us keep doing that. As long as we're not, he'll step back. And when he steps back, we are not afforded the protection that we need anymore. In our Sunday school class this morning, I was trying to show that's insanity. That's the pathway to insanity. Because where you're headed from that, when God starts stepping back, you have no more conscience. You have nothing left that keeps you from absolute, total insanity. And if you can't look at where we're at today and see insanity, then maybe you've been looking too long. Go for a walk out for a little while and then come back and look at this thing again and say, what happened when I left? Nothing. You were just sitting around it so long you forgot that this is the nastiness that's going on in this country. This is craziness. I know that many of you would have said just a few years ago, nobody's ever going to be doing that. Every day, I don't know what they might be doing next. So at any rate, all I'm saying is this. They're responsible to him and accountable to him, but he gives them much freedom for self-determination. But get the picture that you, your, your self-determination, if you go the wrong way, is your own destruction. It's your own destruction. All right? Number two, according to Genesis 10, all the nations of the world came from families, clans and tribes. As the families began to multiply, they became clans. As the clans began to multiply, they became tribes. As the tribes began to multiply and have more people, they became nations. So it's nations that he's splitting up when it comes to uh, the Tower of Babel. So number three, he separated them into regions by families, geography, and languages to keep them from unifying into wickedness. Look at Genesis 11 just for a moment. I want you to see what I'm talking about here. Genesis 11. Now, if, if I'm uh, 
going too too fast the thing here i'm i'm assuming that some of the things we have talked about and learned about before are still part of our thinking today and i'm not having to repeat myself each week um Genesis 11, verses 6 to 8 says this, And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one. So this is what's happening at the Tower of the Babel. He said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. This is what they begin to do now, or begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. If they can speak in one common language, and they've gone together now to build the Tower of Babel, then as a united people with all one language, nothing will stop them from doing the most hideous of things. Nothing's going to stop them at all. So he said in verse 7, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. It was not his desire. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It was not his desire to kill these people off. It was his desire that they speak scatter out, as he had already told them to do, and multiply. But he didn't want them multiplying with the same language. So he created languages for them so that when they left and went other places, they couldn't talk to each other again. It'd be a long time before they could unify and get together with this uh, plans for wickedness, all right? So that's, that's how God works with nations. That's number three in our outline. Number four in our outline, he gave them each a principality to teach them how to live and show them how to come back to God from their rebellion at Babel, Psalm 82. So if you take a look at Psalm 82 just for a moment, again, I'm, I'm wanting you to see that your faith must be based on the Scripture, um, Psalm 82. Psalm 82 is about this. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. So this is God judging those principalities that he put over those countries. He gave them a purpose. And now God is going to judge those principalities. Here's what he says. How long will you judge unjustly? Um, how, long, how long will you show partiality to the wicked? Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness, and all the foundations of the earth are unstable. That was their job. They were supposed to make it so people understood who God was, how to live. That was their job, and now he's judging them for it. I said you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes." Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. So though he had given the nations to them in order for a particular job to be done, they weren't doing the job, so he was going to take that from them and give it to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Uh, go on further. Number five. He determines their time of rising and falling and their boundaries. He raises up their leaders. Daniel understood that God raises up and puts down people as he wishes. He raises up and puts down nations as he wishes. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17 just for a moment, would you please? Acts chapter 17. Here Paul is describing to the Romans, or I'm sorry, the Athenian Greeks, why they needed to repent and he wasn't telling them to repent of sin. He was telling them to repent of their attitude toward God, that they had the wrong idea toward God. They had the wrong idea toward authority. They were depending on all kinds of idols and other uh, demons like that. So in Isaiah, I'm sorry, Acts 17, 26 and 27, he says this, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. There is one race, the human race. It may come in a variety of shades, but there's one race, the human race. And God made them all from one blood of every nation and has determined their pre-appointed times. Look at that. He determined when they would be and the boundaries of their dwellings. So he's determining at what point you're going to have the rising of Ethiopia. He's going to determine at what point you're going to have the rising of Egypt, at what point you're going to have the rising of Greece, at what point you're going to have the rising of Babylon. And he's going to raise up leaders for that, that very time that he has. He has a reason for doing that. Look at verse 27. His reason for doing it. He says, uh, where am I at? Here we go. 
so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So what did he divide them up that way for? Why does he raise them up? Why did he give them boundaries? Because in their own language, they were supposed to seek the Lord, and the principality is supposed to guide them in that information. This is how you can get back home again. So here's what you have to do. And instead, they rebelled against Almighty God, took the principality, and turned him into a god, made an idol to worship from him, and not the principality didn't rebuke it. So now you've got nations that are in trouble, but it is God who brings every nation up to its time, and he does it so that they'll seek the Lord. You're supposed to find the Lord in all this. That's what's supposed to happen in that. All right. Going on further, go to page two. <laughs> Though given much freedom. They are not in a bargaining position with him, nor are they sovereign. They are not his equal. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Stay with me. Let your faith be in the Word of God, okay? Isaiah 40 makes this statement. When God speaks to nations, though he's given them much freedom, he is not telling them that we're equals. We can bargain together in this stuff. Listen to this. It says in Isaiah 40, 15 through 17. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as a small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beast sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. Guys, he doesn't need any nation. He's giving every nation the opportunity to seek after the Lord. He's not needing them. He's not rubbing his hands saying, oh, I sure hope that Lithuania comes through. Man, those guys, I'm counting on Lithuania to whoop up on Ukraine. Man, I hope they do it. Oh, they're so little, though. No. There's no bargaining power. He's not, he's not going to Russia and saying, hey, Putin, let's talk, okay? Man, you're kind of getting away with things here. So, so can we do... Look, Mr. Biden, can we? Never mind. All right. Um, because they're not counted as equals. They can't bargain with him about what they're supposed to do, okay? He uses them as disciplinary agents to accomplish his will. Why did he let Babylon rise up? Is it because he says, there's going to be some good-looking people in that group. I really want that group. They've got, they're going to build some neat temples. No, they were pagans. He raised them up because his people were doing wrong. Babylon is called the paddle of God. So Babylon comes over, whack, 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 whack. Now you get back over here, you're having a timeout, okay? So I get to have a 70-year timeout. You see what I'm saying? And he's going to do the same thing to Babylon. Now I want you to get the picture here. Babylon was given permission to come over here and spank his kids. He wasn't given permission to slaughter them. He wasn't given permission to dash their babies' heads against the wall. Didn't have that permission. So God tells us, I think it's in Isaiah, where he says, I didn't tell you you could do that. So you're coming down. Because you did what I didn't tell you to do, you're coming down. And he raises up Persia to do that very thing to give Babylon a good spanking. And when Persia got a little too snooty, a little too highfalutin, he raises up Greece. And Greece comes over and paddles them good. Then when Greece fights among itself and has a, a goofball and decides he was going to do pig blood and human blood on an altar someplace, God says, you know what? I don't really need you anymore. You're not seeking the Lord, so I'm done. You lost. And he raises up Rome. And when Rome goes through and does that same thing, what do you think is going to happen? Going to discipline Rome. Kids, look at it everywhere. That's the way he's dealt with nations. He's using nations to paddle one another, and then he lets them go so long and then destroys them. Because their goal isn't paddling. Their goal is seeking the Lord. 
When you don't seek the Lord, when you reject the Lord, you're looking at your own destruction. All right, let me finish up here. He interacts with them through resistance to evil, withdrawal of resistance, and allowing the natural consequences of their destruction to happen. If pursuing evil, destruction of the nation is inevitable. It's inevitable. You can get that from Romans chapter 1. In his sovereignty, he uses them as he wills to accomplish his purpose of enthroning his holy son as Lord of heaven and earth. He puts irresistible hooks in their jaws, as he said here. Look at Ezekiel 38 with me just for a moment. Ezekiel 38. Again, if you're concerned about this, I already knew it was going to be a two-part sermon. I knew it was going to be talking about this next week, too, so that's why I'm not panicked or any other such thing, okay? In his sovereignty, he uses them as he wills to accomplish his purpose of enthroning his son as the Lord of heaven. Now, let me start all the way back here. Starting back here. God's got a purpose of restoring this whole earth. Zip forward. That's this one. That's what you saw in Revelation chapter 20 and 21, the restored earth. Okay, it's what you see in Isaiah 66. It's what you see in Isaiah 65, I think, also. It's a new heaven to new earth. Okay, that's where he's going with this. To get to this path is a straight path. So it's a straight line. So we could say history is linear. It's coming to this point right here. But along that path, to get to that path, he raises up nations. So he lifts up that nation, and that nation comes up to the point where it's not seeking the Lord anymore, and now it moves along, and another nation comes up. Are you beginning to see the pattern here? So you have all these nations. So it's just wheel after wheel after wheel as it moves along through history. It doesn't matter which nation he brings up. It doesn't matter which nation, because they're all going to be destroyed. Why? Because none of them are going to seek the Lord. He's bringing it to this one. So in his sovereignty, as he looks at all these nations, he's looking at them on which one of you can get me to my goal of this point? Which one of you will bring glory and honor to me that will bring us to this point where people are ready to receive my son? Ezekiel 38, 16, 23, and 39, 6, 7, and 22 tells us that he does what he does with them so they'll know that he is the Lord. Look, if it's just one nation conquering another, that looks all human. You follow that? That's just all human stuff. But when you can see that something went way beyond when the strong guy actually fell and something caused his fall, that's when you know that it's the Lord that's in it. The event that we're going to talk about, Ezekiel 38 and 39, is so evidently God Almighty, no one can doubt. Well, that wasn't just totally nuclear missiles. <laughs> that wasn't just our armies. Matter of fact, we weren't involved. And the whole world's going to see it. And when Israel sees it, Israel's going to come back to the Lord and know that's the Lord. That's the same God we knew in Egypt. That's the one we saw there, okay? He has a work of judgment he wishes to perform on nations who have defied him for a long time. The judgment will be brutal and it will be final, but it is payday. It will set up the tribulation. And Ezekiel 38, 8 and 16 tells us it's a work that's going to be done in the latter days. That's our days, kids. That's where we're living. So, just as a, a final, as we'll repeat this again next week, this is not Armageddon. What we're looking at is not Armageddon. What we're going to see in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is not Armageddon. And it's not is Revelation chapter 20. It's not those two battles. Why? A lot of difference in them. A lot of difference in why, how they die, what happens when they die. There's all kinds of things that go on with that, all right? Now, you say, what, what's, what's your take on this? What do, you, what do you want to leave us with today? Here's this. This is real history. This is not fiction we're talking about here. This is history that's happening in your very day. These are things that are happening, and you may see all of this come to, to, to life in your day. 
I don't know that it's going to be a pleasant thing to see. I have no idea. But I can tell you, these things here are serious business. And if you have not made your peace with God, now's the time to make your peace with God. If you have yet to trust Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, because you thought that was all some sort of religious joke or something, then may I say to you, this is not funny. And there's no joke in it. This is the judgment that's coming on this nation. On, I should say on this world. This is what's coming ahead, and you can see the sovereign God putting hooks in people's jaws all over the place, drawing them into conflicts that they didn't necessarily want because God is sovereign. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us put trust in Christ today, Father. Let no one leave here today without putting trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to thank you for what you're going to do in Christ's name. Amen. Prophecies are coming true all around us. If you know friends who do not know Jesus Christ, begin to explain the gospel to them one more time. Pray for them one more time. Let's pray for everybody to trust that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in us. Thank you for the way you're working in our hearts. We're going to give you praise for what you're going to do. I ask just now that you'll minister to us in the uh, meeting that's coming up. Thank you for what you're going to do in Christ's name. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.